0: Oh, friends, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, when I look out across the room. Um, I'm struck by the relationships that have formed over the years. And I just thank you for the blessing you've been in my life. Uh, is this where, am I doing, is it on? We're we good? Thank you. Um, yeah, camp is coming soon. You got a glimpse of what last summer looked like. This summer we have... Um, we have some new projects that are coming. One of the things we're very, very excited about is a high ropes course, um, which you haven't seen these before. Look at that. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, we're, That's uh, being done right now. I think the next slide shows our progress so far. We just got the poles in the, in the ground, and uh, that's coming this summer, and we're looking forward to that being an incredible teaching tool. Um, we found, you saw the 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 girl on the zip line on the, on the video. And we found what an incredible teaching tool that is, as students are, um, they step off that, that tower and uh, place their trust in a, in a, in a system that's 100% uh, safe, and yet our eyes, when I get up there on a 14-foot platform and I'm six feet taller, it's just a little daunting to me. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, it, it is going to be a wonderful summer. We have students that are registering like crazy right now. Um, this is the time to do that. Folks, we want every, every student in this congregation to come to camp. We'll help you do that. We have a robust scholarship fund, and we would love nothing more than to give that money away so that students can come to camp. As we talk to them, um, we ask them, what kind of questions are going through your mind these days? And, and one of the things we're hearing is, is, is this. Um, what can I count on these days? What can I count on? And if I, if I count on something, can I, can I really depend on it? Or is it going to let me down? Our theme for the summer, you saw it on the slide perhaps, is rock solid. This summer we're going to be talking about a Savior who is steady, steadfast, sure, strong, stable. And then our salvation is certain in him. And our foundation is firm. We can't wait to share that with the multitudes that are coming. We know that when kids come away to camp, that the Lord is working in their, in their lives. We had a student that told me last summer, a high schooler, he, he said this to me, he said, Greg, he said, I think about big questions all the time. And he said, at camp, I get to work them through. We're glad for that. When they come to camp, they meet the Savior who loves them so much. And we had a student who was just at, at camp. We had a significant weekend last week, and It was our winter blast. One student said, This weekend I learned that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So he's the answer for me. That's what we want. They go back to their churches, and that seed grows and grows and grows. Thank you for helping kids get to camp. My assignment this morning is to, is to weave together uh, a report on how camp disciples people, the importance of gathering, and tie up and put a bow on your last your, your, your series that you've been going through. Okay, here we go. Let me ask you something before, before I go any further. Can I just ask you, is there anything good happening in your life right now? Just a show of hands. Is there anything you're thankful for these days? Yeah, something good you just say, Thank you, Lord. What a blessing. I, I, I join you in thanking God for that. I wonder at the same time, is there anybody in here? You have, you have hard things going on right now? Hands? Something that's difficult that you wish weren't so, that you perhaps wonder how long? Oh, Lord. Can I just speak a word of peace over you this morning? Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. It's my peace I give to you. It's not as this world gives. And he told his disciples on the night before he went to the cross, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And we're told in Peter's epistle, grace and Peace to you in abundance. That's for you this morning. It's for me this morning. Before I go any further, I just I want you to hear that. I'm so encouraged to learn that you've been walking through this path of learning about discipleship and so forth. And, and honestly, it's, a, it, it's just my privilege to be here. The text that I was given this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 to 25. And I'd like to read those. the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Heavenly Father, as we gather here this morning, we gather uh, because you've called us here. We Thank you for that. We thank you for ministering to us and I pray that your word would do its work in our hearts and minds, that as we leave here, as we re-enter the world, that we would be different, that our focus would be strengthened, that our uh, desire to see people know and trust and follow you, that that resolve would be stronger and more evident. Would you do that in in our lives, I pray, for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. You know, it's interesting to me, if we look at John 17, again, that night, Jesus' last night on this earth, and he prays a prayer, and he's, he's praying, talking to the Father, and John records it this way. Here's what Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. The work you gave me to do. If we hadn't ever read any further than that, and we just stopped with that, I wonder where our minds would go if we didn't know the rest of the story. Where would our minds go? What is Jesus talking about? The work that, that he was given to do. We, our minds might go toward, oh, I, I bet it was his ministry to the crowds, all the people that followed him, or, or those amazing sermons that he gave. Or perhaps our minds would go to the place where we think of the crowds, the multitudes that he fed, or, or the people whose lives were radically altered and changed because he healed them. Maybe that's where our minds would go, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. The work you gave me to do. He goes on to describe that work. And what he was talking about was the small group of men that God had given him. We can't help but notice the investment that he had made into these lives and how much they meant to him. We read these these words from Jesus. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus' mission was to build into these, these men the word of, of God, the promises that he had for them, and to equip them. He spent more time with them than anyone else and he staked everything on those relationships. Incredible. And then he went to the cross and he died. And he was put in a grave. And then he rose from the grave and he appeared to those same men and he gave them a message. Here's the message. You ready? Now you go do it. Now you go do it. That's his strategy. That's that's it. It's for everyone. You and, and me, we're told, now it's your turn. You go do it. And, and uh, uh, as you've been involved in this, you know that it's messy. It's difficult. It's hard. takes energy and time. But it's our, it's our invitation to join Jesus in his mission. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it, friends, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't thinking about discipleship, <clears throat> I looked on the, the website of the Church of Lutheran Brethren, we're a disciple-making church, and I, I, I was looking for a definition of like, what is discipleship? I couldn't find it. It doesn't mean it's not there. I couldn't find it. At least in a succinct place that just told me what I was looking for. So, you may not know this, but before I came to camp, I was a school teacher. I taught German to junior hires. No one can accuse me of not having courage. <laughs> not only that, I taught a foreign language exploration course where I introduced them. I taught four weeks of French, and I taught them some Spanish and Latin as well. And when I taught the Latin course, I would enter the classroom every morning, and I would say, Salve, discipuli. Greetings, disciples. Greetings, students. In Scripture, I see discipleship involving Many things, but I, I, uh, I look at it as, as really being about three things. When, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus selects his disciples, and he says that he called them that they might be with him. That's one thing. A disciple spends time with Jesus. Second of all, that they would follow him in his steps. And thirdly, disciples learn. Learn from him. Paul writes in Ephesians about Gentiles who had lost all sensitivity and gave themselves over to sensuality. And he says, not so with you when you learned Christ. To be with, to follow, and to learn Christ. And we need that too. We need that too. Friends, we are always being discipled. We're being discipled by the world. Always. I read recently that the average American comes in contact with 11,000 advertisements per day. Per day. 11,000 marketing messages every single day. Why would corporations spend so much money on ads and jingles and logos? and commercials, I know why. Because they work. They work. We're being discipled all the time. And so we need to be discipled. We need to be able to, we need to. spend time with Jesus so that we can measure the messages of the world against what he says. We need to spend time with him, learn to follow him, and to learn Christ as well. And then he calls us to do the very same thing. You know, when I think about discipleship, one element that stands, that stands out to me, one aspect, is this. It cannot be done alone. You ever think about that? It can't. It's, it's pretty difficult to try to live a life following Christ alone, at least if you're going to follow the Bible. I, I recognize there are times and circumstances where people have to fly solo for a time, but that's not what Scripture sets us up to do. Have you ever tried to submit to one another in love by yourself? No. I'm not sure how that would happen. I I think it's fairly impossible to not give up meeting together alone. Isn't it? Uh, Might we say that togetherness, gathering together, is inherent in the gospel message, and if discipleship is going to happen, it's going to happen together. There's blessing in that. Why can it happen together? Our our passage tells us uh, today. There, There are problems that have been solved. We now have access. We didn't before, but the blood of Jesus has given us access to the throne. So we can gather together. We have a perfect high priest now, and our sin has been dealt with. Praise God, we can gather together in his name, in his presence, he tells us. And we can do so with confidence. When, when the writer of the Hebrews is talking about confidence here, by the way, that's not an exhortation saying, have, have confi- it, it, be more confident in, in this. It's saying, no, you, ha- you, have confi- you can have confidence, absolutely. You do have it. Because of what Christ has done. We belong. We belong. And it's, it's good. The last two weeks, I've spent a total of eight days at two camp gatherings. Christian Camp and Conference Association is a, is a group of 870 camps across the United States and, in fact, around the world. And we gather one time a year together. I spent four days with, the, with camps and their staffs and employees from Minnesota and uh, the Eastern Dakotas and Iowa and Nebraska. It was wonderful. And then last week I was in Oklahoma and I spoke at a conference for, for camps in Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri and Arkansas. And being together was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. When we gathered, one of the things that that we need to be reminded of in Christian camping is that we're not alone. We operate in in locales here and here and here, and we're insulated from each other quite often. And we're reminded that we're we're not alone. That's what happens when we're gathered. And we're equipped and encouraged and nourished. And we're reminded why we do what we do. And we get to pray together. And we get to share together. And I found that the times in my life when I've neglected gathering together, I miss out on encouragement and accountability and love. And I don't get to share those things with other people. And you know what else? I think about other people less. When Janet and I were first married, we were coming from different church backgrounds. We worked very, very hard to find a church in Fargo, in the Fargo-Moorhead area. And we had a tough time. And We couldn't find a place that felt like home. And we, so we, we gave up. We quit because we couldn't find a place for a while. But we realized when we were there that nobody missed us. And in my flesh, honestly, at the beginning, that was okay with me. There are times when I just wanted to vanish. But then it was like, no, this doesn't feel right. Because nobody knew us either. And we needed that we had to find a church that would ground us and that would that would place us back in, in in underneath god's word every single sunday and when we neglected that it was to our detriment gatherings powerful and friends i'm so thankful for the opportunities we have to gather online that's an incredible tool for me living at camp there are times when i can't make it i know we have an online audience but as you're able, the, the importance of gathering together physically is, is important. We, we were able to use online worship so well during COVID, and there are times when we're ill, or it doesn't work, or travel isn't possible, and, and so forth. Myriad reasons. But the importance of gathering together physically, being together, there's something about that. When we have a Christ hike, at, at camp, we, do, we put on a passion play every week of camp and for our family camps, too. And when people come to that, they know the story. Most of them know the story of Jesus. They've read it in the pages of Scripture. They've, they've watched a movie on it and so forth. And yet they come to the Christ hike, and at the end, they can't believe what they experience because they, they say, I've never, this is remarkable. I, I've never experienced anything like this because they were part of something. When we're together, there's a, we, we feel and we see and we hear together. When people walk along on the Christ-like, the Passion Play, they become part of the scene. The crowd who follows Jesus and we're swept up, we're brought uh, together as a, as a group, and God works in, in powerful ways in, in that. In powerful ways. God's always meant for his people to gather. He's a gathering God. His, his, his very person is in relationship with, with himself and what we call the Trinity. That's who he is. It makes sense that we would gather. That we would go to ch- that we would go to church. It's an essential part of discipleship. Have you ever wondered, though, why Jesus used the word church? you ever thought about that? My my mind runs sometimes. I think about these things. Why did he call it church? Why did he say, I will build my church? The Jews didn't go to church. They went to the synagogue. Why is that? The word church means assembly. Assembly. In the Old Testament, the prophet Joel wrote about the day when the Messiah would come. And he would bring the exiles who've been sent away, he would bring them back together again and assemble them. And Jesus pointed toward that when he said, I will build my church. He's he's talking about the day when the, the scattered church will be brought together and God will dwell with them physically. What a day that will be. When we get to live out Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. Our assembled churches represent God's presence with us here, where heaven comes to earth. It's a beautiful thing. If you've ever been, uh, some of you have traveled. I, I know you have. Some of you have traveled to, you know, to Chad and, and so forth. I don't know if any of you have ever visited an embassy, like an American embassy, when you've been overseas. It's it's a unique experience. One of the things that gets me about traveling is when I get off a plane, I step into a brand new culture. Culture is what, what tells you you're not at home anymore. When you step off the plane, everything's different. The food's different. The music's different. People dress differently. They talk differently. It's all different, right? When we, when we go to a, a, a country that's, that's, not our, that's not our own. And then planted in the middle of that c- country is an American embassy. And if you've ever stepped into an American embassy, it's, a, it's almost like... For me, it's almost like whiplash. It, 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 you step in, and you recognize immediately, you step through the doors, like, I'm not in the country that I was just in a minute ago. It's like, I'm back home. I'm back home. And in, in the embassy, people talk like I do. And they, they eat the foods that I, that I do. Their, their focus is different. It's, it's, a, it's a whole different culture. I love the description of the church being an embassy of heaven. I love that. As we gather together, we, we, we gather together as, a, as a, being citizens of a different kingdom. Where there's a different language that's supposed to be spoken in, in, in church. And we eat different foods. We anticipate the banquet with the Lamb of God someday, but we also celebrate. With the sacraments. There's a different focus. We can feel at home here. Greg Finke in his books talks about discipleship, and he talks about having a gathering outside of Sunday morning. And the encouragement to have a small group or a a group of people who are asking questions and who are who are talking and helping each other walk this this path of, of of seeing who God brings into our lives and how to minister to them in the best way. And he poses five questions that get that he suggests get asked in those small groups. One, how did you see God at work this week? Two, what has Jesus been teaching you in his word? What kind of conversations are you having? What good can we do around here, and how can we help you in prayer? I was struck by the similarity of um, the gatherings that we have at camp on the final day. When kids leave, when kids leave camp, our staff immediately goes and cleans the whole, the whole place in about an hour and a half. It's, it's amazing. Uh, they clean everything, and then we gather together. And you know what we talk about? We celebrate. We, we talk about these questions. I didn't know we were doing, we were doing that. I didn't know that we were following uh, Greg Finke's suggestion, but we get together and we talk about the work that God did during the week. When, when we get together for a staff meeting on Monday night and we pray for certain campers, we talk about on Thursday how far God brought them. We pray that every camper who comes to camp is one step closer to Jesus when they leave. Wherever they arrive from, that they're one step closer. And we talk about that. And we celebrate that. And we talk about conversations that we had. And how we were encouraged. And, and, and we pray for one another. Our staff, uh, if you're ever in the area on a closing day of camp around one o'clock, come see me. I would love to usher you into that meeting. It's remarkable. I think about the testimony of the the staff members as they, as they talk about what they saw God do. And it's one of the most, in, the biggest blessings for a summer staff member, a college-age student, to see God do what they asked for during the week. It's incredible. We have a, a guy who's, who started working for us one day a week on maintenance. He would drive out from Fergus Falls, and last summer I brought him into this meeting. I said, Ron, we'll, come on in. He goes, no, I'm getting paid for this. I said, no, come on in. I want you to see this. He was absolutely floored. He moved away to Fargo, now 90 minutes from camp, and he still drives out every week because of what he saw on the Thursday when camp closed. It's encouraging. Are you finding places to gather together for coffee and, and so forth, even outside of Sunday mornings? It's part of the rhythm uh, of life. Richard has wrote a book called Oxygen or O2, and in the book he likens the Christian life to and, and the, the the world of discipleship to breathing. Inhaling and exhaling. Inhaling and exhaling. If I were to ask you right now to, on the count of uh, uh, when I, when I start counting, I want you to start inhaling. You would, you would start doing that and you get to a point where it feels really good, like your lungs are full and, and you're, it's just invigorating. But soon after that, if you continued to inhale, it wouldn't be so pleasant. There would be a burning and you'd feel like you're going to burst and, that, and you have to exhale. But if you were to start exhaling and continue doing it, there's a place where you just run out and we gasp for air. He says, so is the Christian life and the world of discipleship is about inhaling and exhaling. We cannot... Just inhale together. We have to, we're built to exhale as well. He says we inhale by practices like we, we pray. And we worship together. And we, we experience silence and solitude together. And we read scripture. But we're, we're not meant to just inhale. We have to exhale as well. And he says, that's what we do when we practice hospitality, when we serve other people, and we live generously. There's an outpouring, and we need both. We're meant to come to to gather on a Sunday morning to receive God's gifts for us, and then we're meant to go. We're meant to come together to be taught and encouraged, and then we're meant to go and encourage and teach others. It's It's a rhythm. We gather to worship, and then we go for go out for mission we gather for word and sacrament and then we go out to the harvest fields that's the life of discipleship i'm going to tell you since i'm here this morning that god is making disciples at inspiration point at your camp and i want to thank you for helping make it possible People often ask me, what's so special about camp or camp ministry? and One of the things that makes it unique and powerful, I think, is because you step into a whole new world at camp. A thin place where uh, Celtic culture talks about the places where heaven and earth come very, very close together. It's a thin, thin place. And there's a gathering built into it. Time spent gathering and going are extended, though. People come away for a two- or three-day retreat or a five-day camp or a four-day family camp. And then they go. Or summer staff members come for a 12-week summer or a 12-month internship program. And the fruit tends to follow. It happens for campers, too. Do you know that as campers come to camp, they experience a, a, a camp high, a mountaintop experience, I used to think that that just faded. And then when you come back to camp, there's another camp high. Do you know? There's been research done now in the last two years that, find, that finds this. When people come to camp and they come face to face with the Lord, that, that camp high continues on for months beyond camp on the same trajectory. It's amazing. And when staff members come and they spend 12 weeks in the summer, they go and they get a taste for serving and for generosity. And they leave and they, they, they find that God is calling them to pastoral ministry. And they go on to seminary or they're going into the mission fields or they're, they're gaining such a compassion that they're going into social work or, or education or what have you. Your camp joins you and a growing desire to make disciples. You know, as Jesus ascended, leaving his disciples with that charge, now you go do it. You know, it's good news that he wasn't leaving us alone. Do you know that? But he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us. In in Luther's small catechism, it says, here's the work of the Spirit. As Jesus says, go, the Spirit calls us, enlightens us, sanctifies us, and gathers us. Gathers the whole Christian church on earth and, quote, it preserves it in union with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. And Father, there's, um, we see a world that needs you. We confess that we need you. We thank you for your work in our, in our lives. Help us to be ambassadors as we go from here, as we join you in your call to make disciples, knowing that we don't go alone, but you're working through us. We're so grateful. Amen.